Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO and co-founder of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. We are recording live as usual, so apologies in advance for any technical difficulties. As always, the first half of the show will be the Just Dow It News Report, where me and Samantha, who we'll introduce shortly, will dive into several recent DAO-related news stories and dig into what is relevant about these for people starting and operating DAOs, and we'll share our hot takes. Do we agree or disagree with the author, etc.? So Samantha, welcome to the show. Would you please give, give a brief introduction to yourself and what makes you an authority on DAOs? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me back um, after about a little over a year, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm Sam. I am the content editor at Aragon on the growth team there. So what Aragon does is we create tools that are modular and adaptable for DAOs to basically just operate on chain. So you can govern assets and permissions and whatever on chain um, assets you need to govern through uh, DAO contracts on Aragon. And DAOs like Lido and Decentraland and formerly Avagachi have all used Aragon to operate. So that's what we do there. Um, I, I originally got my start in the DAO space in mid-2021 uh, with Bankless DAO. I was really deep into that um, super fun community and organization there. Um, I've also done a lot of personal writing with Quorum, um, launched a DAO anthology. Um, yeah, lots of kind of different experiments in the space. Uh, have been with Aragon for about a year and a half now, though. And Aragon is, I guess, to answer the authority question, Aragon has gone through many iterations of our own DAO. We've run our own governance experiments, and we've also talked to a ton of DAO builders and operators and developers uh, building DAOs. So yeah, I feel like I've been really immersed in this space for almost like almost three years, like two and a half years now. So it feels yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, same here. It's it's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so just I, I just love what we're doing in the DAO space so much. I'm honored to have made it in kind of early. I feel like there was like one generation of people before us Mm -hmm. And then we and like this like second generation of DAO people kind of came in and started yeah. working on it. Um, it's really it's really fun to be part of that group. And, and it's awesome to have you back on the show. So thank you. Yeah. All right. So we will dive into the Just DAO It News report, after which we will dig deeper into an interview with Sam. So for the first story of the week, the headline is actually it's a tweet, a tweet thread. So the first tweet is. Breaking news, HairDAO has become the first DSI DAO to file a patent. This is from the HairDAO Twitter handle, and I'll read a couple more of the tweets. The great part about DSI DAOs is that all of their profits must be reinvested into more research and development. That means more, better treatments for patients. Even better, if you have a large enough community, the patents are owned by patients themselves. That means patients determine prices, profits, and future treatment development. So what's going on here? I think, first of all, uh, for people who don't know, HairDAO is a DAO that has been uh, working on the problem of hair loss near and dear to my heart. 
And uh, that's part of uh, a movement or a part of Web3 called DSI, which stands for Decentralized Science, which generally is DAOs that are doing scientific research or some kind of scientific work or otherwise are decentralized in, in some manner. And I actually want to disagree with one thing that's said here, which is that not all DSI DAOs are necessarily nonprofits. Right? You can have a for-profit DAO where not all of the profit is reinvested into research, but rather gets distributed to the DAO's token holders, for example. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think DAOs can choose. They want to be for-profit. Do they want to be nonprofit? Um, and either way, they can be in DSI. Another thing I'll just bring up is that th there was recently a bankless uh, DSI event, and people are calling it Desky instead of DSI. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that? Oh, okay. D-E-S-C-I. -E oh, so okay. <laughs> curious to see if that takes off. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, but that aside, uh, what do you think, Samantha, about this uh, story? Yeah, well, first of all, I totally agree with what you're saying about the nonprofit profit aspect. Like, I think that there's this idea just generally in culture that if something is a nonprofit, it's inherently good or inherently virtuous. I think with the recent open AI situation, we have learned that nonprofits not, aren't necessarily these like virtuous, perfect entities. So I totally agree with you on that. Um, but yeah, this seems really exciting. I think something I'm definitely interested in that you said was patience determining the price point. I've never heard of anything like that. And I just I'm curious how they would even, you know, go about doing that, especially in the U.S. Pharmaceuticals are historically incredibly, incredibly highly priced. So that is a huge issue that would need that needs to get resolved. But I'm just interested in how like how would a patient know, you know, the labor that goes into producing this, the um, the materials, you know, the the. Um, governmental checks that you have to do as an organ like how would a patient figure that out um, yeah good point and don't you think most DAOs actually are about balancing the various stakeholders? You're not just going to mm -hmm. give all of the governance rights to your customers, which in this case would be the patients, but you're at least, least going to be thoughtful about who should have governance rights and make sure it's the investors, the people working on the project, the patients or customers, make sure everyone has a say in a way yeah. that they usually don't in traditional organizations. Yeah, yeah. I think for that type of situation, it would have to be like, the organization would almost have to be incredibly, incredibly transparent so then that patients could feel good about the prices maybe. I don't know. It is really interesting though. It's really cool that they filed for that patent. I didn't know about hair dog. Yeah, really yeah. And that's, I mean, it relates to what I do for work because you know, mm -hmm. one of the things a DAO would need to file for a patent is some kind of legal entity, right? You need right. legal status. And so people are always asking like, well, what are all the reasons why a DAO might need a legal entity or some kind of legal structure? And, and really anything you want to do with the traditional legal system, including filing for a patent or owning a trademark requires having a legal form. Uh, I think a lot of DAOs are, are learning that. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Cool. All right. The second story of the week. This is from Blockworks. And the headline is, what to know about Jito's $165 million JTO airdrop. The token will be used to govern the DAO and possibly to rouse activity in Solana DeFi. 
Uh, I'll read a little bit more. Jito, the Solana-based liquid staking protocol, kind of like uh, Stake to ETH, if people are familiar, uh, opened an airdrop for users to claim 90 million of its JTO governance tokens started Thursday morning, an amount worth around $165 million at the time of publication. What I love about this is it's just a great example of how we do things differently in Web3 from traditional Web2 and traditional organizations, ecosystems, et cetera. You know, this is a project that, so it's a group of people, they've been working on this technology for a while. Hopefully they got some VC funding or something. They're not just like, you know, eating Robin for the past few years, but they build this thing. And instead of saying, okay, now we're gonna launch the product and try to capture as much profit as we can from that. Instead, they're saying, let's now give away the product to everyone who is interested in it. Let's literally, that's why we call it airdropping, right? Let's literally send out tokens to probably tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And now they're in charge and they get to decide what happens with this protocol in the future. And I'm sure the founding team kept some and probably the VCs, if there were VCs, have some too. But that's just so different. And the other thing it does is it kind of creates this natural market for the token. Because instead of trying going from like, okay, three VCs and two founders hold a token, and now we want to like float it out to the market. In, the, in TradFi, you'd hire an investment bank. The investment bank would do all this work and charge you millions of dollars. You'd go through all the SEC regulations, and eventually you go public. And, and all that work goes into kind of bootstrapping like liquidity and the market for that token. But here's a new way of doing it where you just give away the token, $200 million worth of token, and now everyone's holding it, right? Tens or hundreds of thousands of people are holding it. Now you've got a market and those people can buy, sell, trade, hold, whatever they want to do. And, and it's just remarkable the, the amount of wealth that's being unlocked as a result. That doesn't mean that people could sell all these tokens and they'd be worth $165 million. If people start selling, the price will drop. But today, because people are holding, it's worth $165 million. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, so is it a, it's not like it's a soul bound token, right? Like people can sell. You're just saying that people are kind of choosing. Okay. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, at least yeah, as long as some, <laughs> yeah, sorry, say it again. It's all coin season, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. This is an interesting story. I feel like Solana has had such this interesting like resurgence recently. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have a conflicting relationship with airdrops because I feel like at this point, they're so gamed that it's a lot of the airdrop hunters and farmers who like, yeah, you know, they're doing these actions to get the airdrop. But does that mean that they're this like mission aligned user? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think yeah. that a lot of the wallets receiving the airdrop are necessarily going to be like, the next great governance, <laughs> you know, person in Solana, right? Um, but I mean, I totally agree with you. It's like an amazing wealth building event and um, really shows that there's just a different idea of ownership and wealth in Web3, um, at least in, in within many circles, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really cool to see and uh, definitely be interested to see how it develops and hopefully there are some interesting governance experiments happening on Solana. Yeah. 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 And to your point about gaming, I mean, I think it's such a good point for anyone who's not familiar, you know, the way they decide 
in this case and many cases, who to airdrop the tokens to is based on those those wallets on chain activity related to the project. So like I'm reading that, you know, if you had like transferred this particular token that's involved in the protocol or did something with it, that that qualifies you for the airdrop. And so to your point, a lot of people like just out of financial interest will pretend to be using the I mean, they will use the protocol, right? They'll play with the token, they'll move it around, they'll trade it, hoping that that will in the future be seen as an activity that earns you an airdrop. And so it's really hard to know in a case like this of the $165 million of tokens, what percentage of them went to people who are actually using the protocol versus people who were just using it to try to farm the airdrop, right? And there's probably a lot of gray area too, because in some ways I feel like actually getting onto Solana and like using a kind of like, like nuanced kind of token that most people have never heard of is hard enough crypto activity that the mm -hmm. only people who will be able to do it, at least they're crypto people, they're like mm -hmm. Web3 natives because no one else can figure out how to do it. And so hopefully yeah. at least the people that are getting it are like Web3 people just implicitly, but there's mm -hmm. no way to know. Yeah, definitely not. I think, yeah, airdrops are tricky. <laughs> I don't have a ton yeah. of uh, good takes on airdrops right now, I feel like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, let's turn to the next article. So also from Blockworks, we got a few this week. Uh, the headline is, Optimism squabbles over public goods funding to VC-backed projects. The Layer 2's community is split on who is deserving of 30 million OP tokens earmarked for providers of free services. So kind of similar situation here. It's not a airdrop to users of a protocol. It is a, a, a DAO, the Optimism DAO, right? And Optimism, as the headline says, is a Layer 2 uh, scaling solution on top of Ethereum. Um, that I've I've seen recently a big uptick in 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 people using it, and the DAO is trying to uh, do retroactive public goods funding, which is this really interesting thing that I think was inventive, at least has been popularized in crypto, where rather than uh, going out and saying, okay, we're going to try to bootstrap something from nothing, we're going to pay teams to go work on something for the next few years, instead they say go work on stuff, and then we will reward the people who have done good work after the fact. And so uh, and if you have thoughts on that, we could dig into the merits of retroactive goods funding. But this story is just about the fact that they're debating whether it's appropriate to give this type of funding to VC-backed projects. Because in crypto, we have this kind of like aversion to TradFi, aversion to things like VC. I, mean, I don't personally necessarily have that aversion, but it's something you hear about a lot. And so now people are debating, you know, sh should we be giving the same amount of money or any money to a VC-backed startup that built on optimism compared to maybe a group of individuals who didn't have any funding? Maybe they should get all the retroactive uh, rewards now. Um, so I don't think there's an easy answer to this. I mean, my gut is, uh, you know, I tend to lean capitalist. I think if you want VCs and developers and others to continue building in Web3, then you reward them for building in Web3. And now they, they have some profit and they can go and start another company building in Web3. So I don't personally feel the need to kind of penalize people for being for profit, for being VC backed, etc. Um, but that's the discussion that's yeah. happening here. Yeah, I completely agree with you i think that this argument is extremely ridiculous <laughs> because um 
this industry wouldn't exist without VC funding. Everyone's mm. VC funded. Nothing is profitable <laughs> right now. Like, <laughs> I think people know that, right? That like no one is making all these dApps aren't just making money right now. Like everything's VC funded. So it's kind of seems kind of uh, two-faced to me. It's like, why mm. would you like VC is what is propping up this whole industry right now. And I also think that it takes away from like what a public good is. I mean, a public good is something that is provided for free that people can use, right? Like it doesn't matter who provided it or how it came to be. Like, it doesn't matter if the person on the back end was being paid by X, Y, or Z. Um, and so I think it like kind of contorts the definition in a way that is damaging in a way that will also discourage people from building open source software, which is what this whole Web3 industry is like. That's why we have this thriving industries because you can fork code and you can make your own version. And I just like, yeah, <laughs> I think it's just ridiculous. Like it's just trying to drag people through the mud. And that I don't like that. I don't, I don't like when you're trying to like, uh, make some other company or project or DAO look bad just because they had to pay their contributors so that they could not eat ramen, you know? Yeah. Like, I just, I don't get it. I, I definitely don't get it. And, yeah, yeah, I was reading yeah. a lot of Twitter drama and just not loving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, really interesting. All right, let's turn to the next story. So the final Blockworks story of the week. Uh, this one is, uh, the headline is, DAOs are the future of Web3. The existence and even awareness of DAOs has been limited to Web3. This next cycle can change that. So, and I'll read a little bit more. Uh, Over the past few years in Web3, DAOs have gained such popularity that most of the largest and most successful projects operate as a DAO. Uh, so first of all, I want to, uh, I'm going to agree. It looks like maybe you're going to disagree. Yeah, um, well, why don't you go for it? <laughs> yeah, I'd say that a lot of the most successful projects have maybe more like a hybrid structure where it's like a very tight foundation labs type of group. And then maybe there's like kind of a community DAO outside of that, but I don't think that that's like, oh, like the whole project is within the same DAO structure. Um, and also like that excludes things like Coinbase and um, like all this, you know, centralized exchanges that are arguably onboarding a ton of people, OpenSea. Um, and then you can get into things like Zora. I don't think Blur is a DAO. Like think about all of these projects that, I mean, I'm not, obviously I work in DAOs full time. I love DAOs, but <laughs> I don't, I don't think that you could say that the most successful projects are DAOs. I think there are a lot of successful DAOs. You could look at Arbitrum Optimism. Uniswap has kind of like a hybrid situation going on. Um, I mean, MakerDAO obviously, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think you should exclude those players like Coinbase or Zora or OpenSea. Yeah, such a good point. And I would have said that if you just change this statement a little bit, it's mostly true. Although now I'm kind of questioning that based on what you just said. But most, I would say most Web3 projects have a DAO involved. And again, to your point, not Coinbase, not OpenSea. 
Although the fact that OpenSea didn't have a DAO led to, I think it was called Looks Rare, doing a vampire attack mm -hmm. and creating an OpenSea alternative that was run by a DAO instead. And a lot of people said, well, we prefer that. So let's go use mm -hmm. Looks Rare instead. May not still I be as popular as Blur OpenSea. Did. I think oh, was that Blur? Yeah. I think Blur okay. is a DAO then. Or they did yeah. a token drop, at least. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. they did after the token drop, you know? Like, yeah. 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 So, and I think like if you talk to Web3 founders who are working on a new project, like they'll tell you that there's going to be a DAO, right? At some point. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I feel like it's in some ways that's just, yeah, it's right. It's on the roadmap. If it's not today, it's at some point in the future. And, and to your point, maybe combined with, you know, I, I really common structure is like you have like a DevCo or Opco, which might be for an American, a Delaware C Corp or an LLC. And then you have a foundation, maybe it's a Cayman Islands foundation, and then you have your DAO, which is like separate in some ways from, from both of those. So um, I do agree that's really common. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's, um, it's, well, irrespective of that, I agree that DAOs are the future of Web3, which was the headline of the article. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's a good headline. And I think, I think that ar the article is right to predict that this next cycle is what's going to bring DAOs and probably several other things mainstream. And the reason that people in crypto, I think, tend to believe so strongly in these bull and bear cycles, right? someone outside the industry is like, why does that matter? If you build something cool, people will use it. If you didn't build yeah. something cool, no one will use it. But everything in crypto is financialized, right? Yeah. Everything had not every, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like everything has a token, everything and everything has a DAO of some kind. And the value of those tokens of those DAOs rises and falls with the markets, right? Traditional markets, crypto markets, etc. And so... Um, you know, the fact is that like when the markets are down, people are starting fewer DAOs, fewer people are coming into Web3 and joining DAOs. And as soon as token prices start to go up, I mean, I've seen this recently with all my fr my normie friends, you know, my non-crypto friends starting about a month or two ago, everyone's like, oh, Adam, like, what are some of your favorite tokens? And, oh like, what, you know, <laughs> what are things you're seeing that, that we yeah. might not be aware of? And some of the things I'm recommending are DAO tokens. And I do think when this next bull market cycle comes, which hopefully just started, you know, a couple months ago, um, I think DAOs are one of the things in crypto that's going to explode in popularity and, and just get huge. And everyone will have heard of them, just like now everyone's heard of crypto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my take on that is that for DeFi to work, DAOs have to work because for de decentralized finance to truly be decentralized, it's like who on the back end? is govern governing it, who on the back end has the permissions to change the protocol, who has the permissions to move the treasury, you know, like if there is a really small team doing that, and maybe like, they make a decision that the users aren't a big fan of, um, then that's the thing with open source software, you just move to the next thing, right. So I think that DAOs as the back end of DeFi is more my kind of, I guess, bull case for DAOs. Like you, you need them. Mm -hmm. You need some kind of governance because unfortunately, AI and uh, other tools cannot do everything for you. Like there is a point where humans are making a call and I don't care how much uh, <laughs> chat GBT can do for you. There's a, there's a human element at some point and that's when you need governance. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that 
used as a, as a way of differentiating two types of DAOs that are very different in mm. some ways. One, and there's more than this, really. But one of the two ways is we have a protocol, right? Basically, open source software running on the blockchain. And it's got to be governed. Someone has to govern it because the AI is not mm -hmm. going to govern it. And so we need a DAO, right? We need a way of governing this thing in a decentralized way. The opposite side of the spectrum is when a group of people gets together and says, let's start an organization with some purpose and let's do it as a DAO, right? And so it's like in one case, it's almost like we've got a thing we've got to govern. In the other case, it's like, let's create a thing together. And since we want to do it together, that that's what governance means too. And so we need a governance structure that could be very similar to what would be used to govern a protocol. Um, but those two situations do feel very different to me um, in, in, in some core ways. And in particular, I think in this, this next bull cycle, we're going to see a lot of people starting DAOs that have nothing to do with crypto at all. Like not, not just not a protocol, not DeFi, but like not related to Web3, except that it's a DAO that's governing like a local like alumni club or a homeowners association or a park or a business, right? A local business or a global digital business that is providing something like they're selling widgets, right? Um, and so those will all fall into the second category. Whereas like what you're talking about, the DeFi DAOs kind of falls into the first. Yeah, yeah. But for me, and maybe we, we differ a bit here, but for me, and that's second category you're describing for it to truly be a DAO, there has to be some decentralized component. So some blockchain infrastructure going on, you know, you have to like be deployed on a public blockchain, like Ethereum have, have like, you know, token multi-sig voting, whatever works for you. But um, like, I don't, I don't see just like an organization out in the world as a DAO, like it would need to also have this like blockchain element, this decentralized. Yes. I, you're right. I do. I agree that you, you've yeah. got to be at the end of the day, even if not at first, doing your governance on chain. That's what mm -hmm. makes it a DAO, right? Governance, mm -hmm. managing money, membership tracking. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. But then but then the purpose of your business can be totally mm -hmm. unrelated it's to external. blockchain. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Super cool. We got a, a question uh, from the LinkedIn live stream. I'm curious, Samantha, because I have not heard of uh, what the question's about. I'm curious if you have. Okay. Are you familiar with a sale GP and partnering with Near and turning into a DAO? No. Yeah, me neither. So we'll, we'll both have to do some research on that. Um, but thank you. Thank you for sending in the question. And, and maybe on the next uh, episode, we can we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, all right, let's turn to the next article of the week. Uh, this article, actually, it's two articles. Um, one of them is a paper on mason.gmu.edu, uh, which I'm trying to quickly figure out what George the Mason name. George Mason University. Thank you. Virginia. Thank you. I'm from Virginia. That's... Oh, nice. <laughs> perfect, perfect guest for, for this story. <laughs> yeah. And actually, we used to work with George Mason when I was in the study abroad business, which was 10 or 15 nice. years ago. But Yeah, they're um, like near DC. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, so there's a paper there by someone named Robin Hansen, and the paper is called Futarchy, Vote Values But Bet Beliefs. And I'll read a little bit more of that in a second. And then the other uh, link that we'll put in the show notes is uh, the documents, uh, the docs for the MetaDAO, which is at the metadao.org, uh, which is a new DAO that is being governed through uh, Futarchy. So uh, let me read, first of all, from this paper, this manifesto. Um, the, the first paragraph is, this short manifesto describes a new form of government. 
In Futarchy, we would vote on values but bet on beliefs. Elected representatives would formally define and manage an after-the-fact measurement of national welfare, while market speculators would say which policies they expect to raise national welfare. Okay, that sounds really complicated. Uh, let's read the uh, intro from the MetaDAO docs, and then I'll give my own explanation of what Futarchy is, because I think these are a, a little bit uh, uh, convoluted. So uh, from the MetaDAO. Today's organizations are failing us. We see this in society where democracies fail to represent the preferences of their citizens. We also see this in crypto where our DAOs are far from decentralized or optimal. The MetaDAO is a new kind of organization. It uses Futarchy, a system where markets make decisions. As such, it may sidestep many existing challenges with governance, such as voter apathy and political capture. Okay. So generally speaking, what all what these two articles are talking about, these two, two sources, this concept of futarchy, the core idea is that instead of simply voting on which outcome you prefer for a given decision, you bet on which, out, which uh, outcome you think will be better. And if it turns out that you're right, you win. It's like winning your bet. And if you're wrong, you lose the bet. And so it's almost like instead of saying, which do you want or which do you prefer, which do you think is right, place your bet. And, and if you're right, you win. But in either case, you win if, money. yeah, you win money. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like if you bet that this this proposal, this proposal will have a net like 10 percent effect on our economy. It's going to grow the economy 10 percent. And I'm, I'm betting yes. So now if it passes and it does grow the economy 10%, you win on your bet. And, so it's like uh, a joke race in real life. <laughs> yes, tell everyone what you mean by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we've done this at Aragon, it's super fun. Uh, there's this organization called Joke Race uh, where you can basically set up contests and then you can set the parameters for the contest. So then you can say um, like the, the answer that gets the, the second most votes wins or the answer that gets the least votes wins. And you can set it up like the wallet has to hold these tokens or it has to have done these interactions or whatever. Like it can be tokenless if you want. Um, but it has a little bit of this future. I don't know how to say it. Futarchy. <laughs> I, I have think. heard of it kind of, but it has a bit of that going on because it's like you're betting on what you think other people will bet on. It, it depends on the parameters, but it's not always like, yeah. oh, I like this the most. It's more like, I think others also will like this yeah. the most. That's interesting. Cause I guess the whole idea is that then you're thinking about the collective more than about yourself. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I feel like given like the financialization involved though, there could just be a lot of collusion and then you're like, okay, we're all gonna vote for this one option. So we can all get a payout. Yeah. But I guess then that still works because then everyone still wants that option, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Plus they're saying that there's this like kind of central management team, maybe they wouldn't use those words, mm. who gets to decide whether something was good or bad and therefore who yeah. wins the bet. And I think with crypto, you could easily decentralize that th through like the same way oh, that a prediction market. I that, you know? Yeah, well, some kind of Oracle, I guess, or distributed Oracle where you're asking. I mean, it's like, for, OK, first you're betting. Now you ask everyone to stake on what really happened, maybe yeah. something like that. But yeah, 
It does sound <laughs> complex. I mean, in some ways, this reminds me of this great idea for DAO governance that also is really complex. It comes, uh, I, I heard it from Daniel Ospina, who I know you know. Um, and uh, the suggestion he's made on this show once or twice is uh, to look at the way we do jury trials at least in the United States, I think in much of the world, where you've got like a judge who manages the process, and then you've got uh, a jury who decides the outcome, and then you've got someone uh, fighting for each side. So you've got like the prosecution and the defense, for example. Now he mm -hmm. said, you could apply this to decision-making in an organization, rather than letting everyone vote or asking a central team to decide, you have a randomly selected jury from the community. You have someone advocating for and against the proposal. You have a judge who manages the discussion to keep it a good discussion. And then the jury votes and decides on the outcome. So it could, it could even be like, what is our strategy going to be for Q1? And you literally go through the equivalent of a jury trial to decide. Um, now, I think what's so interesting about this is that, first of all, I can't even imagine trying to do this, right? But maybe there's a way. <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I know. It sounds so complicated. But I actually think it would probably make good decisions. And, and maybe you just save it for really big decisions. I don't know. Have you ever done much in the U.S. legal system? I mean, obviously, you create legal wrappers for Dallas. But like, have you like been a lawyer or anything? No, no, I've been on a jury. Oh, that's really cool, actually. Um, I have not, but I would say that the U.S. legal system is like one of the most slowest moving processes you could ever locate. <laughs> um, and if you're an organization trying to like move fast and iterate, you're just going to like get stuck in the mud. I don't know. That sounds painful. Well, you know, so <laughs> that's make it a, a good... one day, a one day activity, maybe. Yeah. Trial. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, it's interesting. So, I mean, it's a good criticism of the U.S. system and just how slow it is. I think it's mm -hmm. interesting that the the author, let's see, actually the, the MetaDAO this is on their overview page in their docs, you know, says democracies fail to represent the preferences of their citizens. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah. Um, you know, and this often when I'm debating DAOs, like whether they make sense or not at all mm -hmm. with someone, it, it turns into a, a metaphorical discussion where we're using uh, governments as yeah. the metaphor, or the analogy, I always kind of get those mixed up, but we're basically saying, okay, well, like, would you rather live in a democracy or an autocracy? And if you'd rather live in a democracy, wouldn't you rather work in a DAO than work for a corporation, which is basically an autocracy? And I guess it's not a perfect metaphor or analogy. Um, but, uh, but either way, I take issue with some of the negative things people say about democracy today. Like mm -hmm. for one thing, in a democracy, a little less than half the time, at least if things are pretty divided, you're not gonna get your way. And that doesn't mean it's failing, right? Okay. That actually means it's working and we just have to live to learn to live in a world where we don't always get what we want. Then it's easy to say when things are going good and when you're on the, 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 the flip side of a really bad government policy, it can feel like the end of the world. And maybe we should, government shouldn't even have this much power in the first place or we need a good autocrat rather than a democracy. But I, I think generally democracies do, uh, I, I believe they work in the long run. And while it can be very challenging, just like having a jury trial decide every single corporate decision would be extremely challenging for a company, I think democracy is really challenging even for countries. And yet I think it's better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I think it's pretty hard to argue in 2023 that democracy is not better. It like it's pretty hard to argue for autocracy over democracy, I believe. So I totally am aligned with you on that. I I think a lot of the issues and maybe when you're talking to your friends uh, that you might be running into and that I've run into is that a lot of people are getting confused with what's a feature and what's a bug of democracy. Like mm. it's good that things move slowly. We do yeah. not want the government making crazy changes every single day because we cannot live in a society where that's occurring. Like we mm. just simply cannot do that. We don't want them moving fast and breaking things like the whole, yeah. whole Facebook Mark Zuckerberg thing. We just simply don't want that. And so that's good. And that doesn't mean democracy isn't working. It means it is actually working. That's a feature. Um, and yeah, you're totally right. When people aren't getting their way, when the president that's elected is someone they don't want, that doesn't mean democracy's broken. It means it's working really well. I think part of the issue with DAOs is it's like how fast or slow do we want to actually be moving? So kind of these protocol DAOs we were talking about earlier, they might want to move a little slower if like if they make a change and it's kind of like a yeah. breaking change that affects a ton of people. Maybe it makes more sense for them to be skewed towards the moving slower side. But then these other DAOs we were talking about, kind of these type two DAOs where um, you just come together with a mission and you're like trying to iterate really quickly and see what works. Maybe you want a really lean structure like, OK, it's a multi-sig of five people that works. Like, let's go. Um, so I think it's like there's just such a spectrum, you know, like you can't really put them into put DAOs into one box is, is another thing. And when you're getting in that government side, you're closer to like, OK, this is more like a maker DAO where it's like a little more like it affects so many people when a change to die is made. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I feel like another thing that you could argue is it a feature or a bug in democracies is the fact that you kind of need people to pay attention for a democracy mm. to work. I mean, I don't know okay. if that's like you need everyone to pay a ton of attention, but like yeah. clearly if the people are deciding some of the people need to pay attention and be smart and make good decisions. That's right. Really true, yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, at least the, the, the popular thing to say is that people don't really pay that much attention mm -hmm. and voters don't really know what they're talking about. And certainly to some extent, that's true. I mean, no one of us can get educated on every issue facing any one country. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it does seem does seem important and probably feels like a bug, but really maybe a feature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. The last article of the week will be a good transition into the rest of our discussion because it's about Aragon, where Sam works. Yeah. And uh, the headline is opinion. This is from Coindesk. Opinion. The ends of Aragon. Aragon had a dream to remake capitalism with decentralized autonomous organizations. As it faces a governance crisis, what can we learn about how to organize DAOs in the future? Okay, I'm gonna to try to share just a little bit of context on Aragon from an outside perspective, and then I really just wanna turn it over to you to take issue with, agree, disagree. Is Was that really Aragon's dream, was to remake capitalism? Is there really a governance crisis right now? And uh, we'll see what else, else you have to say about it. Um, but I think uh, this article gives a, a little bit of good history, which is that Aragon raised $25 million in 2017. And 
uh, in Ethereum, in Ether. And what happens when you raise money in 2017 in Ether is that by 2023, you have a shit ton of money, <laughs> right? And this yeah. is like, you could say a great problem to have, although this article will argue, you know, it says actually a hint of Greek tragedy, a project advertising revolution against capitalism brought low by unchecked capital. What they're talking about is that 25 million became, I don't know, 250 million or something. This, this Aragon, wherever the money was, was by far the biggest treasury of anyone working on DAOs, like as, as like a DAO tooling platform, which is what, you know, Aragon generally was. Um, and I think this has led to certainly a lot of conflict and a lot of challenges. Um, hopefully, I don't even really know. Hopefully, it's also helped lead to a lot of good things. But I know from talking to folks like you, a lot of the amazing stuff that comes out of Aragon, I don't even know if it's related to this this initial money or just related to the work that people are doing today. Um, but let me stop there and and let's let's get your thoughts. I think probably everyone listening would love to know more about um, the history and what's going on now. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of the confusion and just doom and gloom <laughs> like you're just saying the ends of aragon like that yeah terrible. right <laughs> so doomy my goodness um i thought we were in a bull market guys <laughs> but yeah so um the end of the aragon network token that is accurate so aragon it was actually the fourth largest crowdfunding event in history when the ico occurred back in 2017 huge huge thing Founders had very big plans, but I mean, I think that's pretty standard in the crypto world. Like we're trying to revolutionize our financial system and our society and our organizational structures, right? Like that's why we're all here. So I would definitely like agree with the writer and that there were really big plans that, you know, have panned out in different ways, right? Um, but uh, I think that's what makes working in crypto really exciting is like we have these big dreams. Um, as far as, yeah, the token. So um, the Aragon Association, which is, you know, all the legal rappers, you're, you're probably familiar. Um, yep. The Aragon Association was like kind of a legal rapper that basically voted to um, uh, have this kind of redemption for A&T because we uh, tried a couple different DAO structures within Aragon internally. There's some, because uh, uh, the token was distributed so long ago, like six years ago, um, it just wasn't in the hands of people who were actively participating and governing and yeah, a lot of, a lot of backstory there. But um, long story short is that uh, the token just wasn't wasn't working as a governance token. So basically, ANT holders were able to redeem uh, ETH back for their ANT. So uh, the majority of the treasury then was returned to those ANT holders. Um, you've definitely seen something similar happening in Nounsdow right now with the rage quit type of situation, forking stuff. Mm -hmm. I've been following that, but not super closely. So I'm not... I'm not 100% sure how related the two items are, but it's a similar situation of like, okay, return your voting power for ETH back. Um, so yeah, that's what happened there. And then now we're just, we're in a small, there are like 30 people at Aragon. So we're in a small product focused structure now. 
without this kind of like really complicated, confusing token allocation uh, sort of hanging out there. Um, so yeah, I just, I think that Aragon has been experimenting for years and years now. And, you know, not everyone likes that. Like it's, it definitely puts Aragon in a position for people to kind of like write a hit piece or like come at us. Like, and that, mm -hmm. I don't know, I feel, I feel fine and like comfortable in that situation because I feel like I'd rather be pushing the boundaries than just like kind of playing it safe. So I think, yeah, I think that's part of the the whole conversation. It's that Aragon has just sort of been like trying different things and um, just goes back so far in the crypto space that people are bound to have opinions about it. So yeah, yeah if, uh, if you have specific questions, I can definitely answer to them too. I hope I hope that sounded clear. I don't I don't want to sound like shady or murky, but that's kind of just yeah how I feel. So if the so is the Aragon Association shutting down as part yeah. of returning all the money? Yeah, fully shut down, disbanded. Okay. Um yeah, I don't know all the process involved in disbanding a legal rapper, but I'm sure yeah. you know that. <laughs> so, yeah. so so who now do the 30 people work for? Four or yeah, so we just created a new a new uh, company. Cool. Okay. Yeah, like awesome. a new, totally new company that uh, the the existing teams are within, and it's been like a really easy transition, surprisingly. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely been um, hearing a lot of kind of people coming out of the woodwork with like these opinions about Aragon. Um, which is, is interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's part of where, like the article is saying all this yeah. money can mm -hmm. cause problems, right? Yeah. But now wait, if this money is gone, mm -hmm. who's paying for the 30 contributors? Yeah. So, um, as part of the original Aragon association, like mandate, basically they had to, continue the mission or pass the torch on to somebody else. So if they weren't continuing the mission, there would have been like some crazy tax liabilities with that. So a very small portion of the treasury was kept for the contributors. And, you know, some contributors had like some A&T and stuff. So that kind of all yeah. wrapped up into that. Um, but yeah, so there was a portion kept for contributors and A&T holders have a one year window to redeem. So they have until November of next year. So we've been doing a lot of like marketing, trying to reach out to A&T holders and mm. man, it would just happen so long ago, you know, like you have a wallet from yeah. 2017. It's definitely like interesting getting in touch with everybody. But um, yeah, I've been doing that and yeah, I mean, things have been rolling along. <laughs> I know that sounds yeah. kind of crazy for me to say, given the, the, uh, titles like the ends of Aragon, but <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that seems like it's been true throughout this entire, uh, the entire Aragon project is there have always been people working on the technology and making it better. Right. And there's always yeah. been people using it, um, irrespective of what's going on with this, this, uh, association. Um, yeah. And actually, I will be right back. There is somebody at my door. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> keep everybody company. Um, 
Let's see. So maybe something we'll ask Sam about when she gets back is that one thing this article says is that Aragon at its deepest level is a tale of two technologies. Um, so I'm curious when Sam gets back, if there are still two technologies or what, what it is exactly that Aragon is, is offering. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me, and this is not, I'm not trying to attack obviously Sam or any of the contributors, but for the association, you know, my understanding is that yes, the rules are for a nonprofit association, you have to either spend the money on your mission or give the money to a different organization with the same mission. And so if the association were giving all of the money to this new company with the contributors, I would say, yeah, definitely above board, definitely what's expected. But given that they're actually just giving a small amount of the money to Sam and the other contributors and using the rest to buy back the tokens, I think is, is definitely in a, a legal gray area where it's almost like you're giving the money back to the people who gave it to you instead of using it to further the mission. So it'll be interesting to see um, if they have any any legal issues uh, with that. Um, welcome back. <laughs> yep. Let's transition to talking a little bit more about uh, Aragon today. And so with that, let's say this is the end of the Just Dow It News report. And we are turning to the featured guest interview. Um, it, it's not going to be a, a, a big a shift because we'll keep talking about Aragon. But just a brief uh, advertisement. The only advertisement we ever do is for my company, MyDAO. Um, MyDAO works with the government of the Marshall Islands to try to create the best legal entity in the world for DAOs. So if you're working on a DAO, if you're a lawyer that's interested in crypto, please reach out. would love to chat with you about our partner program for lawyers. We also refer people to crypto lawyers when they need a lawyer. Um, so would love to chat with anyone about that. Now that that's out of the way, let's turn to Aragon. So um, Sam, I don't necessarily want to go back to how you got into Web3 because we talked about that a year ago on the last episode. So people can go check that out. Um, but how about what have you been up to for the past year? And as part of that, tell, could you tell us a bit about what Aragon is doing today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Last year, I've been just really focused on our new products at Aragon. So um, it's been really, really fun actually getting into the product side of things. So um, Aragon's original uh, DAO framework that was created back in 2017, and that's what a lot of kind of the earlier projects like Lido and uh, Avogadro have used. Uh, but DAOs today and organizations today just need different things than they did back then. And we also just have better, like just better tools available, right? So the new Aragon product, so that's Aragon OSX, that's um, the protocol. So that's kind of the underlying DAO framework. And then there's the Aragon app, which is a UI built on top of that. So that's kind of the no code more user-friendly application that you can use. So we launched those at ETH Denver back in March. And yeah, I've just been working on those. So working on content and marketing for those. We have a really big education portal, which I really enjoy working on, just um, basically helping DAO builders uh, learn about like, what DAO tooling do I need to use? What um, maybe type of legal wrapper should I get? Or um, how can I do branding for my DAO? Like just kind of writing more of these uh, educational pieces. So we have a lot of that. And um, yeah, we've been, we've had a really busy year actually. We've 
with those product launches back in March. And then we've just been kind of improving them and um, shipping some new like governance designs, like multi-chain multi-chain governance. And mm. we have this optimistic dual governance setup that I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, just kind of been working on that stuff. Tell us more about those two things, so multi-chain and optimistic yeah. dual governance. Yeah, definitely. So multi-chain governance, well, I'll start a bit more about Aragon OSX. So it's very modular and adaptable. So that's kind of the uh, original idea behind making a new OS was because like organizations today need to be able to adapt and grow rather than just being rigid and stuck into whatever maybe they uh, whatever structure they chose from the get-go. So maybe if they started as a multi-sig DAO on um, Ethereum only, like maybe down the road, they want to be a token voting DAO and mint a token on ETH, right? And so we really want DAOs to be able to be adaptable like that. Um, so that's what Aragon OSX does. And that's how multi-chain governance is possible because it's so adaptable and flexible. So we use um, we use the OFT standard, so that's the Omnichain Fungible Token Standard from Layer Zero, and that basically will wrap your voting token so that you can vote with tokens from any chain. So, say you are, um, let's say you're in Bankless DAO and you have tokens on ETH and Polygon, but the votes are only occurring on ETH you'd have to use this OFT standard to wrap those Polygon tokens and to be able to cast votes with your full voting power. So it kind of can aggregate that. Um, and it also makes it possible to govern assets and permissions on different chains. So your DAO could be deployed on ETH, but you're governing a protocol on Polygon, if that makes sense. It, it's a little yeah. like theoretical right now, but yeah. Wow, interesting. So it, it, to get a little bit specific for a second, but if, mm -hmm. if you have your bank token on Polygon and you want to vote on a bankless issue on Ethereum, um, do you have to bridge the tokens over to the wrapped version or you, somehow you can keep them on Polygon and still use them to vote on Ethereum? So, yeah, it's a really good question because bridges, bridges are tough. Yeah. <laughs> bridges are tough. Um, yeah. So the way the OFT standard works is it burns your token on polygon and mints it on eth and then you go backwards so it's native um i don't work at layer zero though so maybe you should okay. interview someone yeah i guess so stuff. um but yeah so it basically allows you to um uh yeah you have all your assets stored on eth which is very common most people's treasuries are on the ethereum yep. network right but then you're like, I don't want to cast a $20 vote every time I want right. to vote. So you're voting on maybe ZK Sync. Like you're casting the vote on a different uh, chain than the assets are stored on, which hmm. is a really big thing for uh, preventing voter apathy because voters don't want to pay 20 bucks every time they have to cast a vote. I don't want to do that. And yeah. I do this stuff full time. So yeah, <laughs> I can't right. imagine doing that if I was like yeah. a casual like DAO contributor. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really excited about that because I think that'll unlock a lot of the barriers for governance that we see now, especially given we're truly in a multi-chain world 
there's so many chains out there. There's so many L2s. Like, I don't even know how people choose which chain to launch on anymore. I don't know if you have that conversation when you're working with people making their legal wrapper, but it's like Polygon, Base, Optimism, Arbitrum. Like, how do you even go from there? So I love just like saying you can kind of have them all. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Yeah, we've had surprisingly a lot of interest from uh, Solana and even Cardano DAOs recently. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah, which Cardano is—it's incredible to me how how much progress they've made since a mm, couple of years okay. ago in terms of having the smart contract capability to really operate a DAO. Um, awesome. I really wasn't aware of that till more recently. So yeah, it's right. We're going all over the place with the different chains, and you know, I'm part of uh, Purple DAO, which is a nouns-ish DAO and some other nouns ecosystem DAOs, and yes. the nouns uh, builder team, which builds the platform that runs all those DAOs is almost done with a mechanism so you can actually move the DAO to a layer two. Oh, um, I think it's just a permanent one way. Oh, I don't see why mm-hmm. you couldn't maybe move back, but we have the same problem. Every vote costs 10 to $20. And so when mm-hmm. I see a vote happening, if it's already going the way I want, there's no way I'm voting no. another vote, right? Maybe if it needs quorum, but otherwise mm-hmm. there's no point. So really there's no reason any vote should ever have more than quorum voting for mm-hmm. it because the next person will look at it and say, oh, well, what's the point? So yeah, yeah definitely is an interesting um, thing to try to resolve. What about Sam over the past year? I think your anthology was uh, in the past. Oh, year, yeah. Right? Do yeah, you want to talk a little bit so about fun. that? Because I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I worked with Metal Label. So they that's an organization that uh, they basically create these like uh, artistic drops. So they'll do zines and they'll do like records and uh, like music and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, they're just making it possible for people to collaborate more easily on chain in a um, like kind of a profit sharing mechanism. So you can kind of think of how on Mirror you can like sometimes you can add writers and like split profits with all the writers. So that's what Meta Label does. Um, mm. Yeah, and it was really awesome. Had a ton of writers in there. We had um, Legion, David Phelps, uh, Frog Monkey from Uniswap. Um, we had Steph, Alinsung. Um, yeah, we had a ton of people. I like am like losing it off the top of my head because it was a while ago. But yeah, and we did an NFT and a physical publication. So that was super fun. And so uh, people got to get like a IRL zine, which was cool. And then, um, yeah, people got to mint the NFT. And um, it was just like a fun way to see what um, on-chain artistic collaboration can look like. Um, and it was kind of like a downtime in the DAO space. So it was a little like beacon of light for me. Like I felt like it was a bit of like an uplifting thing. Um, so yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. Um, so is the anthology like a really good first read for someone who's new to DAOs, like someone new to Web3, if they want to know everything about DAOs, should they go there or? Um, I would say it doesn't really outline like what is a DAO. But I would say it gives people a good flyover of different like topics and ideas related to DAOs, which is always a good starting point, I'd say, like to get like a broad spectrum idea. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know if I don't know if it's the the first 
thing I would tell someone to read though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What if you, what, what would be the first thing that you'd recommend for someone if they're totally new yeah. to DAOs? Um, blog.aragon.org slash what is a DAO. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I nice. wrote it. I can share it. <laughs> yeah, please. I'm, I'm, I'm typing it in um, right now. It has our definition of what a DAO is. Perfect. Um, yep. We'll put a link in, in the show notes. And you mentioned there's a whole educational repository as well. Yeah. Is that all about DAOs or all about Web3 it's in all general? all about DAOs, yeah. I can, okay, cool. I can share that. And we're going to yeah. add a lot more in 2024 because, like, I mean, I'm sure you feel this as well, but the way, the way we are in crypto now, it's more about growing the pie, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing in more users than it is. Yeah. I mean, it's always about serving existing users. I'm not going to say that, but it's like more of an issue of onboarding people right now. Yeah. But at least right. we're not, that. we're not all going to be successful as an industry unless we get at least 10 times as many people participate. Exactly. Right. No, exactly. So, so that's why we're like yeah. putting so much into education. And I think mm -hmm. at Aragon, we just really deeply believe in education, whether it's for, you know, devs, like how to build a DAO, like as a dev, or if it's for maybe a DAO operator or, um, someone just getting into the space like education is it's just so crucial um so i definitely really like getting to work in that realm and it's something we have a lot of work to do in web3 generally yeah yeah totally yeah it's right you're right it's still hard yeah i know i think about that a lot like i mean i think i think the biggest thing to me i'm curious what you think is that's going to get people into web3 who otherwise wouldn't is actually custodial wallets or like mm -hmm. the equivalent where and it doesn't even have to be a quote-unquote custodial wallet but let's say someone comes to my game web3 game mm -hmm. and they want to start playing i don't want to have to make them get a crypto wallet no. put ETH in it get onto a layer two blah blah, blah. I just want to let them start playing the game and start owning assets in the game but really i'm just keeping track of those assets for now just like I a mean, trap fire web2 the privy oh. wallet that friend tech uses like that oh yeah is that kind of how that is? Like basically just lets you get started and then when you're yeah. ready, you can take your assets out? Yeah, so FriendTech uses it. I think Zora has one now too, where it's, you don't create a wallet, you just log in and it kind of creates yeah. a wallet for you within the application. I don't yeah. think you can use that wallet for then other things. Like I don't think it's like your MetaMask where like you can sign in somewhere else, but it basically, oh, and Farcaster. Duh, same thing. It removes that blockchain stuff. Like I had yeah. to Google what chains Farcaster uses because I literally had no idea because it's like I'm not involved in that step. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, but you were still able to sign up and use it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's cool. awesome. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper into the Aragon offering and then I want to yeah. turn to getting some advice and, and thoughts on like what's happening in the world of DAOs today. Cool. Um, the one more Aragon thing is, uh, so I knew Aragon from back when it was like V1, the, the mm -hmm. platform that you mentioned that Lido uses and, and others. Um, mm -hmm. What is different now? What, what is the unique value prop or key new features of this new OSX? OSX? Yeah, is that yeah, right? yeah. And, and, the, and the front end yeah. system. It's my bread and butter. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm a content marketer. <laughs> But yeah, so um, the way that Aragon OSX works is when you deploy your DAO, the only thing that's kind of static 
is the treasury. So the old Aragon OS, it was like, okay, you're going to be set up like a corporation or you're going to be set up like sort of a nonprofit-y thing. It was more like mirroring meat space organizations on the blockchain. So it was like, mm -hmm. you're going to set up all this stuff and then you're going to get going. Oh, and by the way, you have to pay $2,000 in gas fees because it's 2017 and we just, that's how it goes. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that was kind of the old Aragon. This Aragon is like, we understand that you don't know how everything's going to work from day one. So something we talk a lot about is like a future proof product. Like mm -hmm. we don't know what the heck's going to happen. We don't know if AI is going to take over in like three months. Um, and so we're trying to build tools that you can really adapt and change. So instead of having to, from the get go say, I'm going to have this corporation with all of these board members with yada, yada, we're like, okay, you have this treasury. That's where you're going to store your assets but everything else is changeable. So it's changeable through these things called plugins, which are sort of like apps you install on your computer where you can give them access to things like the camera and like the memory and you know all of that, but you're not changing your whole OS. So your Mac OS doesn't change if you install Discord, but Discord might ask for permission to use your camera and your microphone on your computer. So that's kind of like how a plugin works. So if you say, okay, this is my Dow Treasury, I want to install the optimistic governance plugin. So that would basically mean that proposals pass as long as they're not vetoed. So it's sort of like a faster, quick, like speedy type of governance without voting. So say, okay, we want to use this. You install that optimistic governance plugin. Maybe it asks for permission, like, hey, we need permission to like, move assets if a proposal passes because that, that's how governance works but it's not changing your whole thing like you don't have to move your whole DAO. you don't have to buy a new computer if you want to get discord right yep. so that's that's kind of the whole idea of aragon osx um and that's why we can do these really cool things with it like multi-chain governance and this like optimistic it's optimistic dual governance where you basically have a set of allow listed wallets or sub DAOs. So you can imagine like guilds in a DAO structure that are allowed to propose to a main DAO. And then if the main DAO doesn't veto it, it passes. So you kind of have this like a bit of a gate at the front end, but then things like go really fast once you're in. So that's like a guild type of DAO. Um, so yeah, we can do a lot of these like really interesting things with it because it's so flexible and we're just really excited about how it will enable organizations that we can't imagine yet, like yeah. organizations that we can't build in the Aragon team that we don't even know. Like maybe these DAOs are going to be entirely run by AI agents. Like we, we want to have a protocol that is ready for that if and when the time comes. Yeah. It's like when people invented the company, they had mm -hmm. no clue what people are. They weren't trying to figure out what are all the things no. you're going to do with a company. Yeah. They probably had one thing they were trying to do. And yet you can use a company for literally anything, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. 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 Cool. That's really, okay. I'm excited to look into it more. Um, yeah. That that sounds really neat. Have there been any surprises in terms of like what like plugins are really popular or something that you guys didn't expect that people really like? Um, I think something that we're learning is that, uh, when you're like, put all of the possibilities out there, 
it can be hard if you don't aggregate a few together for people to plug and play. So like mm -hmm. devs that are really into like tinkering and building their own stuff, like they're really into the Aragon OSX idea, but it's kind of like, you know, like Android versus iPhone where Android's like people who want to like tinker with it a little more and customize. Sometimes it's like some people like I have an iPhone, <laughs> like I want it to be done right when I get it. Yep. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's something and that's partly why with the Aragon app where everything is done from the get go, like you have a UI, you install plugins, but you don't know you're installing plugins. Like it's all abstracted away. You're doing yeah. everything just by clicking. You're not coding. Right. And so I think showing people like, Hey, you can have this like crazy customizable custom DAO that you build with like a software development kit, or you can just let us handle it and let us, yeah. you know, use the Aragon app. So I think really clearly showing people the different roads they can take is important, especially yeah. when you're like one company or one brand trying to market to two different groups. I've always yeah. found that to be a challenge. Um, and yeah, so I guess that would be my surprise. It's like just showing people kind of which bucket to look for or which thing to filter into. Yeah. Um, not as easy as I thought it would be. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, you know, a traditional organization, you just start doing stuff and then eventually mm -hmm. you have to make decisions. You make decisions and then eventually you figure out how you make decisions and you kind yeah. of create process or institutionalize you know how you make decisions with a DAO because the decisions are going to happen through technology you have mm -hmm. to launch the technology first doesn't yeah. mean you have to do it all at the beginning but first you have to decide how you're going to make decisions and then you go and make decisions and it's yeah. so different from what people are used to and maybe just harder in some ways um and yet that's what like to your point i'm, I'm thinking about DAO house which is another mm. you know DAO tooling platform that used to be so simple and I always, I always used to recommend it to people because like, it's easy, just go, you, I'll use their interface, you'll figure it out. But then they created V2, which it sounds right. a lot like Aragon's V2, which can do so much. And it's all these plugins, I think they call them modules maybe, mm. and it can do anything. Mm -hmm. But if you put that in front of someone who's not really advanced with DAOs, they'd have no idea what to do. Yeah, um, yeah. One of my, my coworkers said that it was like, it's like marketing flour. Like you can do anything with flour. You can bake anything. You can make save, like you can use it yeah. for like a roux and a lasagna. You can make a cake with yeah. it. Like you can literally <laughs> do anything. But like you need to show people the cake mm. or the pasta or like you need to actually like show them the final product rather mm. than just saying like do whatever and so yeah. that like, i've i've really learned like in the dao space mm. that's been so interesting to me because um there are these people like i said who want to tinker and want to do anything and like find the crazy yep. edges or something but then there are people who are like just show me the cake <laughs> and yeah. like honestly yeah. i really to them so <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally yeah all right so let's turn to kind of digging into what's happening in the world of DAOs today so um you obviously get to work with a lot of DAOs a lot of people starting DAOs or thinking about starting DAOs or trying to learn about DAOs um how are we doing in the DAO space I mean we there's a lot of like you said a lot of gloom doom and gloom in the media and also some success stories um, but it's hard to really get a pulse on like how are DAOs going like how are we doing what mm. do you think yeah I think I mean of course there are a ton of challenges but I don't I don't think that's abnormal 
to any industry. Like, I think if you're like, how are companies doing? Like, <laughs> like kind of bad sometimes, but also kind of awesome. And like, we have all these amazing yeah. things that we can do in society now. Um, so that's kind of how I see DAOs. Like some are like killing it. Some are like Indie DAO. Oh my gosh. Indie DAO is like, I have such a like a fangirl crush on Indie DAO because they're so successful. Like they're this group of developers and designers who are independents who work together as a DAO and then they just pay out distributions at the end of like a season. And it's like so cool and effective and on chain and awesome. Um, but then there's some DAOs that are like, oh, we lasted for three months, you know? And I, I just find that DAOs are just too wide and different. And, you know, it comes back to like what we've kept saying, like the protocol DAO versus the more social DAO versus the more like IRL DAO where you're fixing like a problem in the real world, like they're all so different. And I just, I don't think you can really bucket, like, how are they doing? Cause it's like a company. Mm. So Yeah. Good point. Um, what about the user experience today? Do you feel like whether it's Aragon or something else, could a normie who's new to web three show up at like Aragon.org and launch a DAO? Um, well, you need a wallet. So I think the biggest barrier to entry right now in DAOs is getting a wallet. And I think self-custody is scary for many people. And I think getting a wallet is scary for many people and confusing. And I still remember the first time I saw a MetaMask browser or pop up. And I was like, what is that? Like, what is going on here? So I think like I, I totally understand and I totally get why people don't want to go down that road. So I think it's like what you were saying earlier about the video game. Like you need a way to just get started without mm. having to go through like a seed phrase and you're writing down 12 words. It's just insane. So I think that that's the, the user experience barrier, 100%. And then beyond that, I think it really comes down to what type of organization you're operating in. So if this is like a DeFi DAO, you know, the UX is going to look a lot different than if it's a like a kind of chill social DAO. So, yep. So what about if you think about the DAOs that you do participate in or that you follow, could you identify something that you'd say DAOs are doing poorly and maybe something that you see DAOs, some DAOs doing really well? Yeah, let me think about this. Um, I would say something to th that DAOs, well, some DAOs are doing poorly with, I guess, is not thinking clearly enough from the outset on how they're going to distribute governance rights. I think a lot more DAOs now are starting to think about it, but this kind of goes back to the airdrop thing earlier. It's like, that is just such like a leaf blower scenario where you're just like, <laughs> like what's going on you're just like spreading it and you just don't know um who the heck has governance rights in your organization but if you are um if you're like okay we're trying to build uh like uh like an independent collective DAO, like think about you know do are people who are around longer do they like they've been here for three years versus five years. Do the five-year people get more voting rights? Like thinking about things like that, I think is something that is really important because, you know, basic token voting doesn't work for every organization. Um, 
and a multi-sig also doesn't work for every organization. So kind of considering like, oh, maybe we have a hybrid situation where the sub DAOs are a multi-sig and the main DAO is token voting. That's kind of like the bankless DAO situation that we had. So I think considering, yeah, like who has decision-making power? Cause it's so important. I mean, I just wrote a piece for Aragon about delegated voting and I interviewed a lot of top delegates in the ecosystem and said, hey, if you could talk to token holders, what would you say to think about when they're trying to delegate their tokens? And I just I just really realized talking to all of them that token holders are so powerful. Like where you put your voting power and who you delegate it to is what's going to happen in this industry next. It's what's going to happen at the Arbitrum DAO, what's going to happen at the Uniswap DAO, you know what I mean? And so I just think that people need to think about that first and be like, okay, this is so important. And like, who are we giving these rights to would be my, my, my answer for the poor aspect. And, and what makes someone a good delegate? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, well, it's different for every person. Um, but a delegate, a good delegate for you, like yourself as a token holder, is someone you're aligned with. So you <clears throat> like have incentive alignment. So maybe the delegate, um, like maybe the delegate is a really prominent like um, developer in the ecosystem and you feel like you kind of align with them on that. Cause maybe you're also a developer and you agree, like you kind of speak the same language. Does that make sense? Like you can read their like opinions and posts and be like, okay, I agree with that. Whereas like me, it would be better for me to delegate to someone who's um, more on like the social side of things. Um, so I think that's important, like finding someone you align with in that way. And then just someone who is transparent and shares the thinking behind their decisions. So it's not as much like a arrow at a, a dartboard, just like random. Like it's actually uh, a decision that they're making because of like some specific reason. Um, but also a really big one that I came to realize through these interviews is just making sure the delegate actually has the context to understand how to vote in that DAO. And I feel like I'm shitting on airdrops because I keep coming back to this, but like you airdrop tokens to random people, they have no context whatsoever on this organization, this product, this protocol. Like they don't know anything unless you really bring them in and like teach them and yada, yada, all that basically onboard them to your organization. Um, and so like having the context and just knowing maybe the history of the, the DAO or knowing about the protocol or product you're managing and like having that knowledge is like really important because like, I think we kind of over, I mean, this is not a new take. I think everyone agrees with this now, but we overturned the decentralization wheel a bit in 2021. Mm -hmm. And there weren't enough people with knowledge and context because it was like, oh, that's centralized, you know, but yeah. it's, no, you just have the context. So yeah, I think that that's like really, really important. Mm, yeah, good point. Yeah, and just to go, in case anyone's wondering what, what Sam means, I, I think we, we said, hey, let's let everyone decide, right? Th which sounds very egalitarian, it's very democratic, 
But then what if most people have no idea how to make a good decision on that particular topic, right? Yeah. And so now we're moving a bit back towards a model with more delegates and, and related, mm -hmm. uh, related things. Exactly. Yep. Um, what's Aragon going to do in this regard? Do you have anything you can share on like this new organization? How does governance work there? When token, <laughs> et cetera. <Come>. Too soon. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, no token. <laughs> um, Darn. I, yeah, it's a small group. So governance is hopefully going to be pretty straightforward. Um, we have three different teams, guilds, you know, little mini subdow type thingies um, that just are working kind of on their own, but then we coordinate really well with like bi-weekly all hands meetings, things like that. That's pretty common, I feel like, in a lot of DAOs and companies generally. Um, and yeah, I think hopefully we will be like tightly coordinated. Like I feel confident about that, especially because we don't have this like looming, uh, like who was holding what token and all of that. So I think it'll be a lot more of like a social consensus type of governance. Um, okay. But I don't know. I don't know what we'll end up doing down the line. Um, but I think- It's so like no one's in charge. There's no like council- No, we have, we have like a CTO, CEO situation. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more traditional. Um, but I feel like, I mean, something I love about Aragon is I feel like everyone's like heard really well and um, like voices are really heard. And uh, like, there's not, I, I don't feel like there's like a strict hierarchy, you know what I mean? Um, so it's more of this like fluid structure, but it does help at the end of the day to have like someone on the product, like a technical chief technical officer like making a call on a product like that's yeah. so much easier for yeah. and safer for web3 development i think mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm i'm definitely optimistic so we'll see we'll see what happens in 2024 yeah yeah interesting i have a feeling there's going to be a dao involved at some point i mean yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, okay, let's say someone comes to you today on the street and says, hey, Sam, I'm about to start a DAO. What is your number one piece of advice for me? I would ask them why they're starting a DAO and why they need to be a DAO, because this could sound a little crazy coming from me working at Aragon full time, but like not every organization needs to be a DAO. You know, like if they're like, I'm going to start a knitting club, uh, where we make decisions as a group, I'd be like, yeah, that's really cool. But maybe you should use like a different, just like a voting app on your phone. You know what I mean? If you want to do that. But if they're like, oh, we want to start a knitting club where um, in order to be a member, you have to stake like three of our knitting tokens. And that just shows that you're really invested. I'd be like, okay, sweet. That's really cool. Let's like talk about the blockchain, you know? So it's like not every, I would start with that. Like, what is your why question? Because being a DAO comes with a lot of technical weight. You have to have wallets and tokens and multi city. Like there's just a lot going on. And if you don't need it, it kind of becomes like, why are we doing this? And then it becomes, oh, let's just like get rid of, like, let's just like make it 
opaque and then kind of stop doing on-chain votes. You know what I mean? Like, I think we saw a lot of the 2021 DAOs kind of like slowly die, sadly, because they're like, we don't need to be a DAO. Um, but if you're something like MakerDAO, like you do need to be a DAO. So I would, I would start with that like hard reality question and then kind of pivot from there. What about if someone's looking for tooling, but not just like Aragon to run their DAO from a technical perspective, but like collaboration tooling? And I don't know if Aragon does any of that too, but is there anything you'd recommend, any new tools you've seen or cool ideas for how DAO members can collaborate more effectively with each other? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like my collaboration tooling stack has been very base like discord telegram <laughs> basic i mean i love metal label i think people should check that out it's a they're kind of in a um like they're they're launching something in the new year so it's not like you can just plug and play them right now but i would tell people to look at metal label if they're trying to like drop work for sure hmm. um as far as other collaboration like i think mirror is super cool um but yeah, I think um, also things like Coordinate are really fun. I have a lot of really great memories from using Coordinate at Bankless DAO, where you basically reward your fellow contributors with these sort of points type of like give points. And then at the end, they sort of translate into that governance token. So people who maybe like uh kind of interacted with more people across the DAO and were more well known than ended up getting more governance points which mm -hmm. um you know it, it has some good and bad sides like you can say it's kind of a popularity situation but you can also look yeah. at it like wow this person is like deeply ingrained in the DAO they're getting more governance mm -hmm. right I thought that was super cool I always yeah I feel like I always recommend coordinate because it's like a good, a good 2021 memory. <laughs> <for me. laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all awesome. obviously, but. Um, yeah. yeah. And before we close, any favorite uh, DAOs other than Indie DAO that people should check out? Yeah. Um, I really have been enjoying following what Cabin's up to with kind of the IRL aspect. I don't know if they would call themselves a DAO though. I think they might be more in the network category network state city type of situation but i really been interested in kind of that like collaborative action um let me think any other DAOs that i'd recommend um i mean it's really fun to follow the big DAOs like arbitrum and optimism to see what's going on i feel like there's always something interesting happening there uh, Bankless DAO definitely where I got my start. A lot of really great, nice people in there. Um, yeah, I'd say that that would be my list. Cool. And I think a good time to join DAOs, by the way. I mean, it's not only a good time to ape into some altcoins, but good time <laughs> to join DAOs at the beginning of hopefully a bull market um, when you can still be one of the early members, right? And imagine That's a 10 true. X's in the next two years. That's and you could have been one of the first 10% of the people. Um, totally. So, and I think Bankless is a great one because it's been around for a while, but also undergoing a little bit of a renewal and some changes. Yeah. So I think Bankless is a great one for people to check out. All right, Sam, this has been awesome. Uh, where can people find you and Aragon on the web and on social? Yeah, yeah. So I'm on Twitter 
and uh, the at Samantha J. Marin, and then Aragon is at Aragon Project, and then Aragon.org really has everything you need to find about Aragon. Um, all of you can head to the Aragon app from there and create a DAO in like 10 minutes if you just want to play around. Um, I do that all the time. Like I'll create a DAO with like three of my own wallets and just like test things and play with it. And it's just fun to like play with governance and proposals and stuff. So I definitely recommend doing that. Um, but we also have all the developer documentation if you want to kind of get into the weeds and build your own custom DAO. So devs.aragon.org is what you need for that. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me back. You're very welcome. And we'll have to do it again in about a year, if that sounds yeah. good. <laughs> sounds good. Um, <laughs> quick disclaimer for the audience. Uh, none of this is ever legal or tax advice, not least because neither of us is a lawyer or a tax advisor. Um, and a quick reminder, MyDAO provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. We'd love to hear from you if you're a lawyer or a DAO person who uh, is curious about DAO legal issues. Um, and a final note for the audience. Are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just doubt it.